Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore with everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more. Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning! Morning! Good morning! Good morning? You mean to wish me a good morning? What do you mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not? Please go away! Let me speak for the love of God! Good morning, everybody, and happy new week to all of you. I don't need to tell you that you're listening to Good Movie Monday, the weekly podcast presented by FakeShemp.net. Welcome to all of our new listeners. It's great to have you on board, and I hope you stick around, and g'day to the rest of you. As our beloved fallen soldier used to say, it's always a pleasure and never a chore. My name is Glenn Cochran, and I'll be steering you through the next hour as we talk about all kinds of nerdy movie stuff. We'll discuss a bit of Rocky news, pay tribute to Ennio Morricone, and we'll spend a bit of time with our regular segments from Jarrett Garn, Guillermo from Screen Realm and Adam Ross. And we also have a brand new segment lined up for you this week from the Bonehead Weekly Podcast, which we're going to call Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. So hang around for that. And if you have a keen ear, you will have noticed that I did say we, and that's because I'm about to introduce you to our brand new co-host, who I'm sure is possibly shitting bricks right now. So to fill in the gap for our new listeners, this is episode 21. And for the past 20 episodes, my co-host has been Keith Schultz. Now, Keith left the show last week. Naturally, that left a void in our weekly schedule, which is about to be refilled by this bloke, who has, if I must say, equal stature. You've heard him before when he stepped in for Jarrett when Jarrett was in the sin bin, <laughs> and he's been the ominous voice of the Friday Fright Night promos for the past several weeks. So, without further delay, it's my pleasure to welcome him to the show, Mr. Ben Halwig. Howdy, sir, and welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, good to be here. Do you, do you even know what you're in for, mate? I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> I, I, uh, <laughs> I've only really listened to my parts on the show when I uh, listen in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Just like everyone else, you skip all the, all the crap. Yeah. Just listen to me. Well, just to explain the weirdness of this episode and the next six episodes, uh, if you're in Melbourne, you'll know why. We are in a state of lockdown at the moment because of the second wave of COVID-19. So for the next six weeks, we're unable to sit at the desk opposite each other, which it's not exactly the best start for a brand new guy coming onto the show. <laughs> we'll make do. We'll make do. So Ben, let's just do a bit of get to know you. Uh, some of our listeners probably know that you're from Monster Pictures and Monster Fest. Are you able to just maybe tell us what your title is there and describe what you do? Well, uh, <laughs> it's a tough question these days. I used to be the director of home entertainment, uh, but as um, DVD sales have uh, slowly dissipated, uh, I, I don't do too much of that anymore. Um, so now I'm pretty much the technical manager. I do all of our VOD and streaming stuff. I do all of the materials and part of the programming for MonsterFest. Uh, and when we do a when we do a release like uh, Papa Master Littlest Reich, I think was the last one we did, uh, then I put all that together. So I get all the extra features together. I uh, organize the artwork, the manufacturing, the authoring, all, all of that sort of fun stuff that uh, no one thinks happens behind the scenes when they, when they go to JB Hi-Fi and buy a DVD or a Blu-ray. And I guess you also just sit there and look good, yeah? Uh, that's that's the, my main role. Like <laughs> eye candy for the, for the guests. 
All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to rapid fire the shit out of this whole get to know your business. So I'm going to throw a bunch of random questions at you. Um, and by the end of it, our listeners consider themselves informed and up to date and we can just move on. All right. Okay, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, first question. Italian horror or Spanish horror? Uh, Italian horror. Scorsese or Coppola? Coppola. Sharknado or Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus? Pass. <laughs> I've, ah. seen, I've seen neither of those films. Oh, shameful, mate. <laughs> All right, first strike. <laughs> <laughs> Roger Corman or Lloyd Kaufman? Uh, oh, look. My head says... My head says Roger Corman, but my heart says Lloyd Kaufman. Uh, probably, look, probably Roger. Okay. Now, this is a very, uh, there's, a, there's, there's depth to this question. Caddyshack 2 or Weekend at Bernie's 2? Caddyshack 2. Yes, that was a Jarrett versus Glenn question. Thank you for siding with me. You are a legend. I have to go with the one I've seen the most. Same. Like, I've seen Caddyshack, like, more times than most comedies. Yeah. Yeah, Caddyshack, I mean, like Caddyshack 2, like, you know, Caddyshack over Caddyshack 2, but uh, I think, I, you know, Weekend at Bernie's, the sequel, never really, uh, <laughs> you know, like I love Catherine Mary Stewart as much as the next guy, but, you know, I could leave, I could give or take uh, Jonathan Silverman and uh, uh, Mr. Brad well, Pack. Uh, you, you, well, Jonathan Silverman's in both of those. Yeah, well, that, he, that is true, actually, isn't he? He's the star <laughs> of Caddyshack 2. Well, the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Back to the shack. The shack is yeah. back. That's right. <laughs> All right. I forgot that was an early role for him. I forgot about that. So, Die Hard or Lethal Weapon? Die Hard. Uh, favorite Mad Max installment? Uh, Mad Max Two. Best John Hughes movie? Hmm, that's a good one. Probably. Oh, look, probably Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Good but, answer. I mean, Uncle Buck's kind of up there. Oh, that great count? answer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it'd be one of those two. All right, Milo or Ovaltine? Oh, Milo. Uh, the Jerk 2 or Splash 2? Splash 2. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so far, so good. We're nearly at the end. This one's a qualifier. Favourite Albert Pune film? Uh... Ah, uh, the vicious lips. Yes, I'm gonna very, put that in there. Very good answer. <laughs> <laughs> and and finally, just for the record, are you a coffee man or a tea man? Uh that's actually tougher than you would uh, think. Um, probably a coffee man. Yes, excellent. And that puts the coffee versus tea debate to rest. Keith, there you go. Up yourself, and we move on. Welcome to the team, Ben Halwig. Thank you very much. Uh, I need to go. I need to go uh, remove some shit bricks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, while you do that, we're going to listen to Jarrett. Hey, this is Jarrett, and welcome to PE Class. Now, this week there's only one distributor releasing titles to disc. However, that distributor is Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. And for those that aren't so initiated with Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, they distribute Universal Pictures, Sony Pictures, Transmission. Um, and some other labels as well that aren't really coming to mind. Did I say Paramount? Paramount? 
Um, but yeah, they distribute a bunch of labels. And that's sort of the way things have been going with the local home entertainment market over the last few years. The majors are sort of dwindling because they're partnering up with one another. And so the majors may still look after, say, their own theatricals, but then they'll work cooperatively together to do the home entertainment releases. And it just, I guess it makes things easy and more cost effective for all of the distributors concerned. In any case, these are the titles that are coming out from Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment this week. We've got Escape from Pretoria, which is a new film with Daniel Radcliffe and Daniel Webber. Admittedly, I had not seen this one. Um, it is directed disc locally, and it's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. Then there's the comedy Greed with Steve Coogan. Again, I didn't get an opportunity to catch this one. It did play briefly theatrically uh, just before COVID-19 hit. I remember it playing Cinema Nova, but being a Steve Coogan fan, I'm definitely gonna check it out. And it's a DVD only release. Then there's Kill Team, which is a DVD-only release also. Now, this is directed by Oscar-nominated documentarian Dan Krause, who adapted his 2013 feature documentary into a feature film, Kill Team. Then Night Hunter. This is one that's been sitting on the shelf for a while and is finally seeing the light of day on home entertainment. And it's got a bit of an all-star cast. It's got Henry Cavell from Superman, Ben Kingsley, Stanley Tucci, and Alexandra Daddario. And it's a psychological thriller. However, it is only coming out on DVD. Then there's The Professor and the Madman. It's a period set drama with Mel Gibson and Sean Penn, based off a best-selling novel about constructing the definitive dictionary. But the big release this week, the one that I really kind of want to talk about a little more than the others, is The Hunt. Now this is the film that suffered the most unfair of fates. It was due to be released theatrically in the United States September last year, but then became a bit of a, I guess it became a casualty of uh, all the gun violence in the United States and, and subsequently all the mass shootings. And even Donald Trump had a crack about the movie, yet no one had seen the film. But feeling the pressure, the US distributor Universal Pictures pulled it from release so it didn't actually get to open in September. Then they rescheduled it for March of this year and within a week of it opening in cinemas, COVID-19 uh, became a major thing and all the cinemas shut down. So it's, it, it's had a really bad run as such. In any case, it is coming to DVD and Blu-ray and it didn't actually open in Australian cinemas either. It was due to open in April, but because obviously this crisis and pandemic, uh, it went straight to digital as a premium rental. Uh, but in any case, so it's coming out on DVD, Blu-ray, and it's got Betty Gilpin, you might know her from Glow, and she's a right badass in this as she lays waste to wealthy right-wing and gun-tooting yanks. Unfortunately, though, it's a little light on the special features. There's only three production featurettes, and they only run from like two and a half minutes to five minutes apiece, which is a damn shame. Where's the deleted scenes? Where's the audio commentary? Where are they indeed? Anyway, that's it for me this week, and uh, I'll be back next week, hopefully with some more exciting titles. Hopefully hopefully a title on 4K Ultra HD, because it feels like some time since we've seen a 4K title. In any case, until then, stay physical. Paranormal TV fans, this week on Scarefest Television, Chris Sutton will be interviewing Brian Cano of Paranormal, Caught on Camera, and The Haunted Collector. Join us live this Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time Zone at ScareFestRadio.com or via Facebook and Twitter by following The Scarefest. All right, so this is the part where I do a lot of plugging. I'm going to 
plug that thing I do at Scarefest. Indulge me for a moment while I talk about myself. This coming Saturday at 11am Australian Eastern Standard Time, which is American Friday, 9pm Eastern Time Zone, I'm going to be on Scarefest television discussing the brilliant 1978 film Long Weekend, starring the late, great John Hargraves. So make sure you tune in for that one. And as I mentioned last week, you can hear me hosting a brand new podcast called Scarefest Radio Reanimated, which is essentially a revived version of their original format. It's a Kentucky-based podcast presented by the Scarefest Horror and Paranormal Convention. And before we do move on, a little bit more Scarefest news. One thing you definitely need to check out is Cybercon. It is Scarefest Cybercon, which is an upcoming virtual convention hosted by Scarefest on August 29th. I'm going to be there on hosting duties. There'll be tons of celebrities, meet and greets, vendors, panel discussions, a whole lot of cool stuff. So find the Scarefest Cybercon page on Facebook and look out for the official website, which should be online very soon, if not already. And if you are a regular Good Movie Monday listener, here's a little something for you. You know that I love Matthew Holmes, filmmaker extraordinaire who made The Legend of Ben Hall. It's one of my favourite films for the last several years. And back in March, we had Matthew here on the desk and we spent the entire episode discussing Ben Hall as well as his debut feature, Twin Rivers. The exciting news is that Twin Rivers is actually now available on Amazon Prime. So I can't endorse this film enough. Go back and listen to that episode, which was on March 23rd, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, to get the whole backstory on why this film is so important. And it was once an absolute rarity, but now it's available for you all to stream. Twin Rivers, now widely available. Bloody excellent news. And some more movie news. Jarrett mentioned earlier that The Kill Team is being released physically uh, this week on DVD. So naturally, I'm going to tell you to pick up a copy of Stack Magazine or visit stack.com.au to read the interview I had with director Dan Krauss. It's an excellent film, probably the most tense war film I've seen since Hurt Locker. It stars Alexander Skarsgård and Nat Wolf. And uh, next month on the show, you're going to hear the full-length conversation I had with Dan. It's a bloody ripper, so make sure you hang around. But Ben, I'm going to drag you back into this now. One more bit of news that might stir some movement down below. Um, Sylvester Stallone has confirmed that he's putting together a director's cut of Rocky IV. Why part four? What do you think? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, I, I'm hoping that uh, this means that there's going to be an, an extended version of the montage of training montages from the prior three films, because that is the best part of, of that. And Bridget Nielsen are probably the best parts of Rocky Four. Uh, oh, the the, mon- the montages are spectacular. Are like you a it, fan of the Rocky series? I'm a fan of Rocky, Rocky Three, and Rocky Four, <laughs> and I. Tolerate the rest. <laughs> okay. What about the Creed movies? Oh, look, I still haven't seen Creed two. Uh, I didn't mind Creed, but I, I mean, I, I, I thought that was as a Rocky movie. That's one of the weakest. Like I, I, you know, right. Like I mean, like, and that's if you. I was a big fan of Rocky Balboa. I look. I, <laughs> I enjoyed Rocky Balboa just for its sheer ridiculousness. Uh, Yes. Like, like I thought. I thought. I mean, I thought it was a lot of fun if you didn't take it too seriously, and it was definitely a lot better than uh, than uh, Rocky Five, uh, which was an odd, an odd film in any franchise. Rocky Five Street Fighter. Yes, the Street Fighter. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's also more exciting news because he's also putting together a director's cut of Rambo: Last Blood. Last Blood. The, the most recent one. Yes, the the recent well, one. Why didn't yes. he do that when it was <laughs> okay? <laughs> that's not. That's not. Like, hasn't given. I don't know. Hasn't given people much of a chance to miss it uh, and demand. Uh, <laughs> it's the extended cut that nobody demanded, especially Jared Garn. Jared Garn hates that film. Hates it with a passion. 
he does. Well, he's got issues, and we both know that. Like, come on, it's not that bad. Like, uh, I went to. <laughs> I think I was in the cinema with him when we watched, when he saw it, and I've never seen anyone that angry after after a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't the American release? Um, wasn't it missing the opening sequence with the um the rescue? Oh well. That would make the movie make even less sense. Though that, I mean, that opening scene is a bit ridiculous. Like, <laughs> it's a bit silly. It's like let's it let's take the entire first blood movie and retool it so that he's clearly the hero, and shove it into the first five minutes of the latest. Just so you, just in case you forgot what it is you liked about Rambo, and and then and then send him off to Mexico, where he. Gets nothing but beaten for three hours. Like it's it, it is it is a phenomenal. It's a phenomenal film. It's phenomenal that somebody greenlit that film. It's a uh, couldn't yeah. agree more. But I still kind of like it. <laughs> What's happening, everybody? It's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favorite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. Let's talk a little bit about what's been covered on Screen Realm in the past week. Kicking off with the sad death of hugely influential and highly respected composer Ennio Morricone, known as the Maestro, who has passed away at 91 years of age. The legendary Italian composer, whose many credits include The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, Cinema Paradiso, Days of Heaven, The Mission, The Untouchables, The Thing, The Hateful Late, the list goes on. He has sadly died in Rome from complications of a fall that broke his femur. It's a huge loss to the worlds of both screen and music. Ennio, you will be missed. Thank you for everything. Two-time Oscar nominee Jude Law will be playing a Disney villain. The actor has entered talks to take on the role of Captain Hook in a live-action Peter Pan movie that's currently in the works at Disney. Titled Peter Pan and Wendy, the film is to be directed by David Lowry, known for Disney's Pete's Dragon remake, The Old Man and the Gun, Ain't Them Body Saints, and A Ghost Story. Disney is aiming to give Peter Pan and Wendy a cinematic release and not releasing it as a Disney Plus streaming exclusive, as has been the case with The Lady in the Tramp remake and recently Artemis Fowl. Law will be taking on a role previously played by Dustin Hoffman, Jason Isaacs, and Garrett Hedlund. Fingers crossed all goes well here. Now, many Marvel fans may have already guessed this, but we've got confirmation. It appears that Florence Pugh, who you may know for Midsummer, Fighting With My Family, and last year's Little Women, will become a key figure in the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Marvel's long-awaited Black Widow will be a post-Civil War, pre-Infinity War chapter in the MCU, taking Scarlett Johansson's Natasha Romanoff back to Russia, where we'll be introduced to characters from her past. Among them, Yelena Belova, played by Florence Pugh. The film would depict Yelena as a sister figure to Romanoff, having also been trained in the Red Room when she was younger, and as has now been confirmed, Yelena will be set up to play a bigger part. Black Widow's director, Aussie filmmaker Kate Shortland, has said in an interview with Empire, We didn't know how great Florence Pugh would be. We knew she would be great, but we didn't know how great. Scarlett is so gracious, like, oh, I'm handing her the baton. So it's going to propel another female storyline. As of now, Black Widow is currently scheduled to hit US cinemas on November 6th. A new Batwoman has been cast. Following Ruby Rose's departure, the CW has chosen who it is that will be taking on the mantle of Batwoman in season two of the superhero series. Javicia Leslie, whose credits include co-starring in CBS series God Friended Me and a role in BET series The Family Business, has landed the lead role in the CW series. She'll be playing a new character named Ryan Wilder, who will be meeting as she is about to become the caped hero. Jump on screen room for all those details. A couple of big TV cancellations. Firstly, Netflix has cancelled The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. The streaming giant has decided that the Supernatural Riverdale spin-off series will be coming to an end with part 4, which will be streaming on the service later this year. 
and it's definitely not a good time to be a fan of the Riverdale expanded universe, Katie Keene has also been cancelled. Yes, the CW has chosen not to renew the Lucy Hale-led series after a 13-episode first season, the last episode of which concluded in May. The cause comes down to ratings, which were reportedly not very high for the network. Actress Lucy Hale also shared an emotional video reaction to that news, and you can also check that out on Screen Realm as well. A planned dramatic thriller titled Borderland has signed up a strong cast led by John Boyega, Star Wars, Felicity Jones, Rogue One, Jack Rayner, Midsummer, and Jodie Turner-Smith, Queen and Slim. The film is to be directed by the Guard Brothers, who previously directed 2009 horror film The Uninvited. Jack Rayner will be playing Irish paramilitary Michael, who witnesses the shooting of his pregnant wife at the hands of an SAS sergeant named Tempest, who will be played by Boyega. When Tempest is sent back to London to lead a covert counter-terrorist operation, Michael joins a ruthless active unit ASU wreaking havoc in the capital. For Michael, the mission is personal, to hunt down Tempest, and he'll stop at nothing to avenge his wife's death. And I reviewed Waves, an ambitious, emotional family saga from writer-director Trey Edward Schultz, known for 2015 drama Krisha and 2017 horror drama It Comes at Night. Currently showing in limited cinemas around Australia, Waves tells the story of a suburban black American family of four who are pretty well off but have major troubles on the horizon. The less said about the plot, the better. This is a film that benefits from the surprising dramatic turns that this family experiences. I was really quite impressed with it. The acting is absolutely phenomenal and there's just a lot of raw emotion amplified by one hell of a soundscape and, and booming soundtrack. While a tighter second half could have ensured a stronger through line, Schultz has delivered a strong, highly emotional film that can, in one way or another, resonate with many. I gave it four out of five stars, waves. That does it for me guys, thanks so much for the Good Movie Monday team for having me once again. Be sure to follow Screen Realm and Good Movie Monday across our social media channels. I'm out.
I hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. Such a fun little piece of music. It was March of the Beggars taken from the soundtrack to A Fistful of Dynamite, a.k.a. Duck You Sucker, a.k.a. Once Upon a Revolution. I kind of wish that Sergio Leone had made up his mind on that one. Needless to say, it was composed by the legendary Ennio Morricone, who passed away last week, sadly just after our last episode dropped, arguably one of the greatest film composers of all time. I think it would be remiss of us not to discuss his work here. But Ben, I think it's safe to say I'm pretty flimsy on the subject. What about you? Yeah, yeah, look, I'm not, uh, I'm not great on, on composers. I mean, I'm familiar with his Spaghetti Western work, like Love, Good, the Bad and the Ugly, uh, Fistful of Dolls, Few Dolls More. Uh, Once Upon a Time uh, in America is fantastic. Like that, hum- the harmonica stuff at the beginning is so incredibly iconic um, that it's hard to get away from. Um, I actually did, in preparation for this, I thought I'd go and watch uh, a Morricone Western that I had never seen before. So earlier today, I actually watched um, Death Rides a Horse, uh, which, because Tarantino uses the theme song in, um, in Kill Bill, and I was like, what? when I heard that, I was like, what is this from? So it was from this film, so so I finally got around to to seeing it, and it's actually like it is a it's an incredibly good western, not directed by anyone that I'd ever heard of before, and it's like Lee Van Cleef is in it, John Philip Law is in it, but the soundtrack, and it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, and this could this could raise the hackles of a lot of listeners, and I'm really starting off on the wrong foot, but it sounds <laughs> like he just in these spaghetti westerns, he basically composed one piece of music. And the filmmakers just used it over and over and over again in that film. So by the end of it, you know it all off by heart and it's like entrenched in your brain. So when you leave the film, all you're doing is humming his score. But it's not like he's created this entire, you know, 90 minutes worth of sound bed. He's just like, it's just like one like five minute track that they just repeat. Uh, is that Ben Howick, ladies and gentlemen? His uh, his personal <laughs> phone I... number is. <laughs> <laughs> Let the hate mail begin. <laughs> well, I think like you know, you think of um, spaghetti westerns mostly when you hear his name, forgetting the fact that he's done like four hundred scores, so many of them not westerns, but like it's the <laughs> that's that's what you think of when you hear his name. Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred uh, percent. Anyway, he also did um, the score for Orca and Exorcist 2. I didn't know that. Right. No, I didn't know that. I'm just disappointed that uh, it wasn't Richard Harris who did the score for uh, Orca. <laughs> I thought, you know, just just they just played MacArthur Park over and over again under that. Isn't that? My, maybe I'll watch a different version. Maybe I'll watch that, like the Amish cut. <laughs> you heard about well, you heard about that, that that guy in Utah who would just take all the Hollywood films and then cut all the stuff out that he didn't think was appropriate for Amish audiences, and then uh, yep. or or whatever the <laughs> and they just totally redo it. Like I think that's his maybe that's the version of Walker I saw. Oh <laughs> uh, well, the, you know the one that was surprising to me it wasn't U Turn and obviously we knew about Hateful Eight, but I didn't know that he wrote the music for Footloose. <laughs> I had no idea. I, I, does, has, some, has anyone told Kenny Loggins? Does he know <laughs> that, um, that uh, Morricone did all the music for that? I thought it was. I thought. I thought it well, was all. So, I thought it was all Kenny Loggins. So so says uh, IMDb. Like I, I spun me out. I don't remember anything Morricone esque in there. I mean, I guess it is. It is amazing how how like you know the the title track from some. From, from a soundtrack can become so dominating that you completely forget about 
the rest of the 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 score and how and it's surprising like I was try, really paying attention when I watched uh, Death Rides a Horse to the underlying music during the non you know like I mean it's all, it's all very obvious during the chase scenes and the when the tension rises and stuff like that like you you really pay attention the music really is part of the mood that it, you know the film creates but in those kind of in the still moments and stuff like that how important the the music is or lack of music can really help emphasize a scene or a or a, a mood in, in a movie and it, you know I, I think that it's like a, it's a it's a testament to his work really even though that sometimes you don't even you're not even aware of it like when i think footloose all i'm thinking of is footloose <laughs> you know but but of course there is an entire <laughs> there is an entire you know sound bed under that whole film I can't help but feel that I've been punked that, you know, maybe there was some character in the movie watching uh, Spaghetti Western and that's been attributed to Morricone. I have no idea. It doesn't sound right to me. <laughs> to the, yeah. Right. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that's, that is entirely possible. You can't trust anything you read on the internet. Yes, well, I, I, I feel that Morricone deserves an entire podcast dedicated to him, but I don't think that we're the guys to be doing that. So maybe people might want to go and find another podcast that will do that for no, them. <laughs> definitely not. Apologies, Maestro, if you can uh, hear this from uh, wherever you are. Oh, jeez. Anyway, moving along. Safe face here. We have a brand new segment to present to you. I've been drumming on about this one for the last few weeks. It is, of course, the Bonehead Weekly Podcast. They've become one of our own We've got our hooks into them. And they've chosen to call their segment Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. Isn't that cute? And uh, on their first run, they're about to discuss fictional bands in movies. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Fun Size edition of Bonehead Weekly Chat. It doesn't work. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. We're gonna I keep think the this. problem is they're the word fun. This. Right before we started recording, it was like, what the fuck are we going to call it? Oh, I probably, I don't know. Do, do they curse on their show? I don't know. Yeah, we're fine. We could be. I they think we should. I think the challenge is we use the word fun, and there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee. The only thing that we know is the size. Hey, hold on. Let's let's see. I'll make it fun. Whoop! There it is. Now, fun assured. Absolutely not. So for this fun size, we're doing these for FakeShimp.net and Monday Morning Tuesday Quarterback. What's his other show called? Good again? Movie Monday. I'm going with Monday Morning Tuesday Quarterback. There down in Australia. Do not, do not disappoint Zephram. And we are, we are officially canceled before we even got a chance to go on the show. I don't doubt that we're canceled. With, we're the most entertaining thing. We're, no, oh, there we go. Canceled. Oh, there we might have got canceled. Oh, double canceled on the new boss. Fake rock bands and movies. Fake rock bands and movies. Best. All right, who Best. wants to go first? I'm. Gonna, I'll go first because y'all can't top this. I don't care what you do. This no, is the I only want to rock use one band. The other day for this one, I'm not surprising Chad. This yeah. is the only rock band. You're not gonna find another one that has interdimensional impact. <laughs> they don't only do that sign of the devil. They actually met the devil. They travel through time, and they're predicted to solve all the world's problems. I'm talking about the Wild Stallions. Oh, yeah. Bill S. Preston Esquire, lead singer. Yeah. Or Logan, lead singer. Yeah. Uh, you got Joanna Logan, keyboards and backup vocals. Elizabeth Preston on the drums. And you've got Death playing the bass. And you've got Station on the congas and, and, and bongos. You can't beat that. You've got an alien. You've got the personification of your mortality, and you got those other people too. 
It is the greatest. No, what name one other rock band that's going to bring peace to the all of the world and is going to change the future? You can't do it. Not even ACDC did that, my friend. Go ahead. All right, quick, Chad. Do you want to go next? That's okay. No, you, I'll go next. Go. I'll go next. So the one I don't want to talk about is that's right from the 1980s, Eddie and the Cruisers on the dark side. Oh yeah. Can you tell me who sang that song? I couldn't tell you. I had to look it up. It's John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown band, by the way. John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown band. The Beaver You're looking Brown for band. That was bring uh Bruce Springsteen, Dion and the Belmonts, Jim Morrison. They had all these ideas from but they, none of it quite worked. The thing that I find most fascinating about this movie is that I, I couldn't remember it being a big hit and it wasn't it didn't make any money but it got a sequel you know why it got a sequel gentlemen no yeah because of hbo it was a big hit on video and hbo and for some odd reason somebody decided we're going to do a sequel called eddie and the cruisers eddie lives which is apparently more to do with the actual book and there was a book and it's confusing we may break this down in a whole episode of bonehead weekly later we won't Right, so my pick is actually going to trump James's, in my opinion, because they, uh, my band, uh, well, at least I don't one of them allowed to use the T word is actually uh, performed interdimensional travel, and I am talking about the Hong Kong Cavaliers from Buckaroo Banzai. Ah, cross the eighth dimension, or is it seventh dimension? Eighth, eighth dimension. Eighth dimension. Uh, the the go, Joe. There directed by W. D. Richter. Yes, the front man was Bunkaroo Bunzai. Band members were New Jersey. Billy Travers, Rawhide, for, uh, uh, played by Clancy Brown. Reno, Pinky Carruthers, and Perfect Tommy. And uh, they were supposed to be this big, huge band, and you actually only see them perform one half of a song, and that is Since I Don't Have You, which was a cover of the 1958 hit single by the Skyliners. So that is my best rock band, best fake rock band in movie history. The Hong Kong. He was Kong. too busy to sing. He was fighting Big Booty. And right? I, I have that issue. Isn't that the villain's name, Big Booty? No, well, the, the, that's, that's John Lithgow's henchman, Big Booty. Hey, all I ever remember is the Big Booty. And on that note. Thank you um, so much. This was our first Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. Come back for more Kentucky bourbon. We're not giving away Kentucky bourbon. We it's can't already we drink, my friend. We don't have the budget for that nonsense. All they do is drink Fosters down there anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we're, now we're canceled. Now we're canceled. Jeez, Ben, this is a tough one. I would, I would actually say that Interstellar 555 wields a little more intergalactic power than the Wild Stallions, but um, what's one of your favorite fictional bands? Uh... Probably uh, Ellen Aim and the Attackers from Streets of Fire would have to be my favorite, uh, my favorite band. Though it's it's a close close second for the band in Vicious Lips, uh, which I, I mentioned earlier, which uh, is you know, <laughs> uh, Albert Pune's intergalactic band masterpiece uh, that I watched for the first time at your place, I believe, uh, a couple of years ago. So I, I owe my love for that film to you, and of course. Uh, Vicious Lips did introduce the world to the three-breasted woman long before Total Recall ever did. As far as I know, Albert Pune has three-breasted women uh, on his rider before he does any project. Like, he insists on it being in every <laughs> film, and it always, without fail, ends up on the on the cutting room floor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> tits galore. Tits galore, yeah. Three tits. 
Three tips for Albert Pune. Sasha Mitchell and uh, yeah, Michael Kizzy originally had three breasts in Kickboxer 2 and 4. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't this weird how everything just sort of comes back to Albert Pune? Any kind of movie discussion, I can bring it right back because as you mentioned, um, as I mentioned, he was attached to Total Recall, but he also directed the sequel to Streets of Fire. Yes, uh, like, and uh, what a, a magnum opus of a green screen film that was. <laughs> uh, I have got a very strong soft spot for uh, Road to Hell, but um, it's a contentious film, let's just say that. I'm, look, I'm just glad that Michael Pare came back for it. And Deborah Van Valkenburg. And Deborah Van Valkenburg, that's right, yeah. Anyway. But no Rick Moranis. <laughs> no. <laughs> no uh, No uh, Willem Dafoe. No, uh, Amy Madigan, but you know, can't you can't you don't want to, You can't catch, capture lightning in a bottle twice. No, and the budget only calls for so many boobs. You know, you can't afford many more than what's on offer. Yeah, that's right. If Deborah Van Valkenburg is willing to go with three three boobs, uh, you don't need anyone else. You really don't need anyone else in the film. Oh, mate, mate, your first episode is something of a train wreck, and this is hilariously fun. <laughs> it's spectacular. And anyway, thanks to the Bonehead Weekly guys. Don't forget to check them out on YouTube and various podcasting platforms. Uh, they're going to add a great deal of amusement to this show. And uh, now let's check in with Adam and see what he's just seen. Hi, everyone. It is Adam here from Adam's Just Seen with another Good Movie Monday recommendation. I am going to hit you with a fresh one today. I am going to be recommending Relic, which just dropped this previous Friday on Stan. Now, in another alternate universe, uh, this would be the sleeper hit of the year. It would be playing at every mainstream cinema and everyone would be talking about it and going to see it where it, you know, probably should be seen in the Cineplex. Uh, but look, if you are anything like me and you have spent half of your COVID money on a big screen television, it's not that bad of a compromise. Uh, this movie is hugely effective. As a horror exercise, I mean, the sound design there, the atmosphere is just absolutely chilling. Relic does what the best horror films do. It is allegorical. Here, you don't know what is real, what is symbolic, what is allegory. It is, you know, it messes with your mind. Uh, this centers on three generations of a family and uh, and their kind of, you know, interconnected relationships that they, that they have. Uh, there is some, some baggage there and some subtle some subtle things but what is well no, not so subtle for subtle is just how freaking terrifying this movie is so effectively the grandmother goes missing and she comes back and there is something wrong there is something amiss uh, and this is a debut by uh, Australian filmmaker uh, Natalie Erica James and here she just manages to elicit uh, just like imposing dread like I mean this thing is yeah it really it made me go like yuck yuck like five times and that's good because I feel like I've been desensitized to horror and this is definitely in that psychological uh you know I mean some people might resent the term but kind of highbrow horror you know like I mean look I like all horror uh but there's definitely is kind of like the A24 stylings here where you've got impeccable performances beautiful cinematography and very just really well constructed films that are thematically rich and Relic fits right square in there um yeah look i mean so uh, i'm recording this on a friday i am going to watch it again that's how much i liked it uh, and i hope you get as much out of it as i did a uh, really impressive debut can't wait to see uh where james goes next as a filmmaker and uh, should be on your radar on stan now highly recommended four stars uh and maybe even five if i like it again on the second viewing so enjoy all right ben this is uh the home stretch mate this is the final block of the show. This is where we recommend a couple of movies 
And uh, up until this point, I've always had Keith on the other side of the desk bringing uh, what you would call a, a measure of prestige, which um, always was combative to my, you know, my penchant for you know, B-movies and, and schlock. And I've got a doozy, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead by example and go first and uh, tell you all about my movie of choice. So this is considered to be one of the worst sequels of all time. Uh, but then again, bad sequels are my stock and trade, so that's what I do. This is a 2007 sci-fi fantasy directed by Brett Leonard, who made Lawnmower Man and Virtuosity, and it is Highlander 5, a.k.a. Highlander the Source. And tell you what, guys, you know, I'm going to cop a lot of shit for it, and I do not care. I actually, I didn't know there was one after uh, Highlander Endgame. I thought I thought fourth. Four was the last one, the one that ties into the TV series. And there are three cuts to Highlander 5. So let me let me explain it for you. This oh was or, originally intended to be the first of a new trilogy, um, but it tanked so monumentally, you know, that there's no way they were going to ever re- make a sequel to it. But I totally dig it. Uh, Adrian Paul returns as Duncan MacLeod, and the movie is set in a cyberpunk future, um, which is very much a green screen, Sin City type of, you know, aesthetic. And the, the story is all about the quest uh, to find or discover the origins of their lineage and locate the source of their immortality. Uh, look, this, this is kind of cashing in on the whole Underworld series. There's a little bit of Buffy in there. There's a bit of Lord of the Rings, all that sorcery. And, of course, like I said, Sin City. It's just a, it's a weird-ass, nonsensical movie that doesn't belong in the franchise yet. For, for me, it speaks volumes. I love Brett Leonard. You know, not the best filmmaker in the world, but I do like what he puts on screen. So Highlander 5, it was released here at one point in time by Eagle Entertainment. I don't know where you'd find it now. It's probably online for free somewhere, but uh, try to track it down. And what have, what have you got lined up for us? Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know how classy this is. It's not, it's not quite at the level of uh, Highlander 5, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it is uh, 1978's Coma. Yes. Uh, I watched this for the first time a couple of weeks ago, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's uh, directed by uh, Michael Crichton from a a, a screenplay by Michael Crichton, but based on a novel by not Michael Crichton, by uh, this guy, Robin Cook, who was actually (laughs) a friend of Michael Crichton's. Um, uh, It's basically, it's set in a hospital where a doctor finds that um, a series of of otherwise healthy patients are dying uh, on the operating table uh, during fairly routine, non-serious kind of operations, uh, and she yep. kind of everyone thinks she's crazy, and uh, and of course you know she's in fact not, and uh, she kind of uh, investigates. It's got a it has an all-star cast. Uh, Jean-Vierre Bujold is the star yep. uh, from Anne of a Thousand Days, and um, uh, uh, that uh, Obsession, the De Palma movie, and. Uh, a bunch of other kind of cool stuff, mm-hmm. Swashbuckler. Uh, but it also stars um, uh, Michael Douglas and uh, Richard Widmark, the, the yep. Western King, uh, appears as the as the head of the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a Rip Torn gives a delightfully sinister performance as one of the doctors. And then there's like some weird kind of cameos by people like Tom Selleck, who's one of the patients. And uh, Lois Chili's uh, from uh, you know the famous Bond girl, and uh, Ed Harris has like a you know it must have been like right at the start of his career, like he's got a full a full flowing mane of hair, and he's just like he's like a morgue attendant. <laughs> it's like a, it's it's an amazing it's an amazing wow. film and definitely worth uh, checking out. 
Excellent. That's a good choice. I haven't seen that in a long time, but I do like it. I love Michael Crichton's stuff from the 70s and 80s. It was so strange. Like, he gave us Westworld, for Christ's sakes. Yeah, like, that guy must have had a lot of... Like, apparently, when I was reading up about this film, originally the studio wanted to switch the lead character to a male and have Paul Newman star in the film. But Michael Crichton actually got to use his Westworld muscle and said, no, that's just going to turn it into an everyday boring film like that everyone's seen a hundred times before. Yep. Let's uh, let's uh, keep it keep it uh, keep it as a woman. Well, there you go, mate. Well, anyway, people, you've got two bangers there. Go check them out, and if you are, do happen to catch either of them, drop us a line on our social media on our Facebook page, and just let us know what you think. Oh, you can see uh, in Australia, you can see uh, Coma on iTunes. It's available to rent. I don't think there is a physical copy out at the moment. It would be good to have on Blu-ray. I think it is available overseas on Blu-ray, but not uh, not here as far as I know. And to bring the show home, we have copies of Blackwater and We Die Young to give away. Thanks to Eagle Entertainment. And the winner of this Van Damme double feature is Kathy Boxall. Thanks, Kathy, for following us on social media and supporting what we do. Uh, we're also going to give a runner-up prize to Jamie Lyons, who's actually over in West Virginia, and she's been keeping tabs on everything we do as well. And I keep seeing her pop up. So we're going to find something that's region-free and get that over to you as well. So thank you to everyone for dropping us comments, sharing, liking, subscribing. And this week, we've got two brand new releases, sci-fi releases actually, from Eagle Entertainment. We've got Radio Flash and 3022. So just keep following us on that social media. You know what to do. Like, comment, and share. And we'll get back to you next week with a winner. So that is it for another week. What an episode. It's going in all kinds of directions. And thanks to the Victorian lockdown, we'll be delivering a slightly different show for the next six weeks. Hopefully we can get our shit together a bit more than, well, I can get my shit together, I should say, a bit more than tonight. And I'm sure we'll settle in hassles-free moving forward. Ben, welcome on board, mate. It's been a pleasure. You've really been thrown under the bus tonight. No, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. I, I just feel really bad for Ennio Morricone. <laughs> yes. You should feel bad for me because this is going to be a bitch to edit. <laughs> no, I, I, I just feel grateful that it's not me. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, also, thanks to our reliable mates, Jarrett Garn, Guillermo from Screen Rum, Adam Ross, and our new friends over at the Bonehess Weekly Podcast. And don't forget to check out my other show, Scarefest Radio, reanimated in a few days' time. Thanks to everyone. You've been loyal listeners. It's always fun. And that's it for us for another week. We're going to sign off with another Ennio Morricone classic. This is an iconic piece of music. It is the theme from The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. We'll see you next week, everyone. Good Movie Monday.
<laughs> that's my best, my favourite part is the, is the, <laughs> it goes throughout the whole song. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't take well to prickly pears, but um, you will appreciate the most difficult one I've ever had, which was Jim Wynorski. Oh. Oh. Have you listened to ours yet? Yes, Chad, you copped the exact same thing I did right at the start when he goes, I've been asked that before, moving on, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but you know what, mate? Most of the people listening don't know who the fuck you are, so why don't you tell them? Yeah. So, funny story... Chad, do you want to tell him how I tried to get him a, a year or two ago, several times? I wanted to talk to him, not and because not necessarily we're huge fans, but he's man so prolific, right? Yeah. I mean, and he coined the phrase uh, "boobs are the cheapest," blah 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 blah. Special effects. I mean, he he must have tremendous stories somewhere underneath the asshole. He has yeah. to have, and I he never he defriended me on Facebook. Then Chad comes up about a month ago and says, by the way, I got Jim Wynorski. <laughs> we don't even talk because it's kind of a competition between the three of us about trying to get people. And it's really good. I think it, I actually said this about a few weeks ago. I was like, it's a good competition between us. Should be a little bit of competition. Yeah. And and I was like, great. Awesome. And Chad was like, yeah, he, he was really nice on the phone. Right, Chad? Mm-hmm. I said, yeah. really? Because he was not so nice to me. And then Chad's the first one that copped his attitude. <laughs> yeah, that um, was, you know what? Yeah. That was a that was a fantastic interview because you ended up really you butted him up and and he really gave you a lot. Oh really? Well, thank you because I haven't listened to it. I just kind of threw it up there. I got we were all three and a funny story. My tower computer, the CPU, died last weekend and it I hadn't moved it to the external hard drive and it was on there and. Uh, magically the tower started working the next morning but i texted them and go i don't know what we're going to do the interviews there i didn't upload it to the cloud it's not on the external hard drive i hadn't did that yet and chad goes well if we're going to lose one we're going to lose one and you know along with those stories you know um, i use zoom every day never had a problem and Jim Wynarski, the reason I cannot contact him is because one of those films that was in, an inspiration for me, what made me love films, was Swamp Return Swamp Thing. I watched it almost daily when I was a kid, the creature effects, Swamp Thing. I still have a love of Swamp Thing to this day. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to contact him. And he, he, wrote, he wrote me back almost immediately. And I was like, oh, I'm so excited. And then he starts to tell the Swamp Thing story. And Zoom crashes on me, and I can't hear anything. These guys are—he's talking to them too, and I'm watching them shake his hand, them shaking their heads, and I see Joe laugh. I'm like, "What am I missing? What am I missing?" <laughs> I, I really need to go back and listen to it then, because I thought he—he he was a little bit of a—that's of, a really good way to put it. He's a little bit of a prickly pear. 